0: If you would uh, grab your Bibles, open up to Amos chapter 8. We've got two more chapters left and maybe three messages total. So we're coming to the end of this great book, and, and really the song that we just ended with is a great um, preparation for what we're going to talk about here, because we're talking about in that song, Bread of Heaven. And of course, we know that God's Word is really what we are to feast upon, And that's a grace that we know that. Uh, That allows us to know, in one sense, that we particularly are not under judgment. A nation that is under judgment is a nation that doesn't understand that, no longer hungers and thirsts for the Word of God. And so we want to continue to have that desperation for God's Word and to live upon it. Jesus said in Matthew 4.4, answering to Satan in the temptation, it says, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Later on in the very next chapter, he would say this, the Sermon on the Mount, stands up and the crowds are gathered, opens his mouth, begins teaching with great authority, and he says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. You can flip that statement, and it is also true. Cursed are those who do not hunger and thirst for righteousness. They will never be satisfied. That last statement, the one that I flipped, I I think describes our current culture. And it also describes the culture that Amos was living in. And so in Amos chapter 8, we're going to look at all 14 verses tonight. Uh, what we're going to see is a a famine in the land, a famine in the land. Um, And it's not one that you might expect, because so far what we've seen are different judgments that God was going to send, visions of these judgments, and and they're all physical in nature in one sense, and this one's going to be very spiritual in nature. There's going to be some physical aspects to it, uh, but the worst of it is going to be this idea that comes starting in verses 11 through 14. So let me begin just by reading uh, this to us, and then we'll go through it tonight. Amos chapter 8, starting verse 1. Thus, Lord Yahweh showed me, and behold, there was a basket of summer fruit. He said, what do you see, Amos? And I said, a basket of summer fruit. Then Yahweh said to me, the end has come for my people Israel. I will pass over them no longer. If they will wail with the songs of the palace in that day, declares the Lord Yahweh, many will be the corpses in every place. They will cast them forth in silence. Hear this, you who trample the needy, even to the cause, even to cause the humble of the land to cease, saying, When will the new moon pass over? So that we may sell grain in the Sabbath, that we may open the wheat market to make the bushel smaller and the shekel bigger and to cheat with a deceptive balance, so as to buy the poor for money, and the needy for a pair of sandals, and that we may sell the refuse of the wheat. Yahweh has sworn by the lofty pride of Jacob, indeed, I will never forget any of their works. Because of this, will not the land tremble, and everyone who inhabits it mourn? Indeed, all of it will rise up like the Nile, and it will be tossed about and subside like the Nile of Egypt. And it will be in that day, declares the Lord Yahweh, that I will make the sun go down at noon and make the earth dark in broad daylight. Then I will overturn your feast into mourning and all your songs into lamentation. And I will bring up sackcloth on everyone's loins and baldness on every head. That sounds terrifying, by the way. And I will make it like a time of mourning for an only son. And the end of it will be like a bitter day. Behold, days are coming, declares Lord Yahweh, when I will send a famine on the land. Not a famine for bread or a thirst for water, but rather for hearing the words of Yahweh. People will wander from sea to sea, and from the north even to the east. They will go to and fro to seek the word of Yahweh, but they will not find it. In that day, the beautiful virgins and the choice men will faint from thirst. As for those who swear by the guilt of Samaria, who say, as your God lives, O Dan, and as the way of Beersheba lives, they will fall and will not rise again. There is in this chapter really nothing to hope for. It's a pretty bleak picture. It's been bleak throughout Amos, but really what we've had so far are are warnings. It's it's coming, it's coming, it's coming. And he's been preaching this message of judgment. And if you've been with us all the way through, we've we've kind of been paralleling it with things going on in our, our culture. And as we've seen how the Lord was going to judge them for specific sins, we've seen the parallels of those specific sins in our own culture and rejection of God and rejection of His Word and the way that we treat people and the way that everything is flipped as far as justice. But there comes a time when you begin to wonder, is it going to happen? And I would say in our own culture, we're kind of there. If you have your eyes open, you know that judgment is most likely coming at some point upon America. You see all the signs. And yet... Sometimes you wonder, when is it going to happen and what is it going to look like? And this is maybe the same place that Amos' people were in in his day. And they were continuing just like they had every other day. And then we have this vision. And so I'm going to have four points for you tonight. We're going to look at the judgment. The first point is this, a vision of the judgment. A vision of the judgment. This vision is one of a basket of summer fruit. This is the fourth of the visions. There's going to be five total by the time that we're done. This is the fourth one, a basket of summer fruit, which that sounds kind of nice, right? I mean, if someone came in here and gave you a basket of summer fruit, you might think, hey, are we going to get married? You know, what does this mean? You know, you'd have to figure that out. It sounds nice, but this uh, basket of summer fruit is, is not nice. What is it? Why the basket of summer fruit? Well, Israel had at that time and during Amos' day, several different harvest seasons. And a harvest season, obviously, you would gather whatever the crop brought in. And most of the time, because you're living upon that, you would obviously eat some and you would also save some for the winter months and from times when you would need it. Well, the basket of summer fruit, this signifies the last of the harvest seasons in the summer. And essentially what he is saying is this is the last chance. This is the end. We have looked at all the different harvests and the different fruits that you have gathered and showed me. You've brought your offering. I've rejected all of them. Here's the last chance we have this basket of summer fruit. The imagery is of fruit that is fully ripened and needs to be gathered at once because it is summer. If you allow the fruit to stay out, it's going to get moldy. It's going to ruin. It's going to rot. You've got to gather it right now is the idea. But really what it would have communicated to the people is the end of the season. The harvest season is done. There's no more chances. There's no more shots. And so the illustration is essentially to say this, just as you gather your last fruit and you must eat it because you cannot save summer fruit, it will rot. So also, as I am gathering you, you will be destroyed. There is no more chances, is the idea. He's stressing the end in this imagery. The word for summer fruit is kayets in Hebrew, and the word for end is yet in Hebrew. And apparently in that day and age, they found inscriptions um, in the kingdom of Israel, and those two words had become the same. And so no longer were they saying for summer fruit, kayets, they were just saying yet. In other words, the stress here is this is the end. There's no more opportunities. There's no more shots. The end is here. Judgment is coming, and you can't do anything to stop it. And so that day will come and does come eventually. And this is what he wants people to know. As the fruit demands instant attention, so the sin of Israel demands the immediate attention of God in judgment. He can no longer, the wording says here, pass over them. Now that would have immediately brought something to their minds. This language of passover. You can turn over to Exodus chapter 12 and see this. This is a reference to the Passover. Because what God did at the Passover was passed over them, but he did not pass over their enemies. Now they're being put in the same category as their enemies. Exodus chapter 12 starting in verse 21. We'll read down to verse 24. Then Moses called for all the elders of Israel and said to them, Bring out and take for yourselves lambs according to your families and slaughter the Passover lamb. And you shall take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood which is in the basin and touch some of the blood that is in the basin to the lintel and the two doorposts. And none of you shall go outside the doorway of his house until morning. And Yahweh will pass through to smite the Egyptians. And he will see the blood on the lintel and the two doorposts. And Yahweh will pass over the doorway and will not allow the destroyer to come into your house and to smite you. And you shall keep this event as a statue for your, for you and your children forever. What he is saying here, I have been passing over you. I probably shouldn't have been because of the destruction uh, or because of the sin that you've been committing, but no longer will I do that. Now you're going to become like your enemies. It's the same language also in Genesis 6 where he basically says, now the judgment is coming, no longer passing over. So what's it going to look like? Turn back over to Amos chapter 8. We look at the different songs in the temple that are about to become songs of mourning says, and they will wail with the songs of the palace in that day. Now, some translations essentially have no longer will they wail or will they sing, but now they will wail in the palace, declares Lord Yahweh. Many will be the corpses in every palace, and they will cast them forth in silence. So the destruction is complete, and it is full. This is the vision of the judgment, the basket of summer fruit. The end is here. What are some applications we can take from this? First, I just want you to notice verse 1. The Lord Yahweh showed me, and behold, there was a basket, and he said, What do you see? And I said, A basket of some fruit. Then he said to me, The end has come. Notice that he has to repeat himself and show him over and over again. And I think essentially what this allows us to see is sometimes when God places his word before us, we see it, but we don't truly see it. We don't really understand what he desires for us to understand. We haven't taken it to heart. And certainly that was the case in Amos' day. As he was prophesying, they were hearing it, but they were not beholding it. They weren't getting the message. They didn't understand that judgment was actually going to come upon them. And so we need to be a people who continually go before the Lord and say, open my eyes so that I may actually behold wonderful things from your law and actually understand them. Humans have a great ability to see without seeing, and so we need to know that weakness and ask the Lord to help us. Another thing I think we could take just from this little section here is that the summer fruit illustration should remind us that God deals with us in regards to fruit. He deals with us as his vineyard, and he expects us to produce good fruit. And when Jesus came, he used the same imagery. Uh, The axe was laid at the tree. If there's no fruit, it will be cut down. Um, If you're saying you're connected to the vine, but you're not producing fruit, it's going to be cut off and thrown in the fire. And so he expects his people to bring forth good fruit. Why? Because they have the word of God. They have everything that they need. They don't need anything else. And so if there's no fruit, know that God will deal with you according to that. You can turn to Isaiah chapter 5. It's a parallel passage dealing with this idea. Isaiah chapter 5, and look at verses 1 through 7 with me. He says, Let me sing now for my well beloved. A song of my beloved concerning his vineyard. My well-beloved had a vineyard on a fertile hill. He dug it all around, removed its stones, and planted it with the choicest vine. Now here's a picture of God and how he cares for his garden, how he plants us in the best of soil. And he built a tower in the middle of it and also hewed out a wine vat in it. And then he hoped for it to produce good grapes. But it produced only worthless ones. So now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, please judge between me and my vineyard. What more was there to do for my vineyard that I have not done in it? Why, when I hoped for it to produce good grapes, did it produce worthless ones? So now let me tell you what I am going to do with my vineyard. I will remove its hedge, that is, its protection, and it will be consumed. I will break down its wall, and it will become trampled ground. I will lay it to waste. It will not be pruned or hoed, but briars and thorns will come up, and I will also command the clouds to rain no rain on it anymore. (laughs) What happens when there's no fruit amongst the people who have been given everything they need to produce fruit? What happens when God gives people His Word and then they take that and they ignore it, well, he becomes not the gardener that would prepare the ground so that it might produce a great crop. Now he becomes the gardener who will destroy it and start over and judge it. And this is essentially what Amos is dealing with. Here's a people who had the Word of God and who tossed it out, and God will not deal lightly with them. And so it is in our best interest to constantly be looking at our lives and asking, am I producing the kind of fruit that God expects the Word of God to produce in my life? And then another thing to know, and just to keep in your mind, in verse 3, one day there will be songs of wailing. And those are songs of wailing because they have rejected God's Word and the judgment has come upon them. But also, keep before your mind in that same day, there will be songs of great rejoicing. And those songs of great rejoicing only come if you've trusted in Jesus Christ. And so both of those things should be in your mind as you walk forward, as you continue in life. One day there are coming songs. Which choir will I be a part of? So that's the vision of the judgment. Turn back over to Amos chapter 8. Next we have the reasons for the judgment in verses 4 through 6. As he's done all throughout, he pronounces something, and then a court case, he's going to give the reasons for the judgment. This comes in 4 through 6. And so we're going to begin in verse 4. Hear this, you who trample the needy, even to cause the humble of the land to cease. Uh, Essentially, he's going after the rich, he's going after the powerful, and what he's saying to them is, you have used your power to oppress rather than to protect and to bless. I've given you wealth. You were to use it for my glory and to protect my people, and you've taken it and used it only for selfish gain. And God does not treat this lightly. And then in verse 5, he says, when will the new moon, or they're saying, when will the new moon pass over so that we may sell grain?" and the Sabbath that we may open the wheat market to make the bushel smaller and the shekel bigger bigger, and to cheat with a deceptive balance. What's he saying here? This is greed over God. They were in church. Maybe some of you are doing this now, I don't know. But you're in church and you're thinking about something outside of church. But not only are you thinking about something outside of church, you're thinking about something outside of church that doesn't please the Lord. And the Lord is saying, I've seen that. I know that. And you will be judged for that. When you're in my house, you are to worship me with all of your heart, soul, and mind. They had perverted it. They're just looking for it to be over and done so that they can do what they want to do. It is just religious ceremony. There's absolutely no life in it. But not only that, you see another element of their greed here. Look what they're doing to make the bushel smaller and the shekel bigger Uh, and then it says and to cheat with a deceptive balance making the bushel small and the shekel great what is that basically they're giving less income and then they're demanding high prices and so that they care nothing for those who are under them they're fixing the market so they may get more gain and not only are they doing that but it says they're using false balances uh, in verse 5, they cheat with a deceptive balance. And we know that God also hates this. Proverbs twenty ten, differing weights and differing measures, both of them are an abomination to Yahweh. God hates it. He hates it. And then verse 6, again, greed over the poor, so as to buy the poor for money and the needy for a pair of sandals and that we may sell the refuge of the wheat. They were looking at people not as image bearers of God, but as things, and actually worse than things. He says we're going to buy the poor for money so that we can sell the refuge of the wheat, which the refuge of the wheat is like the leftovers from the wheat crop. What he's saying is, is people are actually more worthless than the leftovers of our wheat crop. This is how they view them. Now, maybe we're not doing that, but certainly we can take on an attitude towards other people where other people are just for our own selfish gain. We're not viewing them as fellow image bearers in God, whoever they may be. And we want to make sure that we're maintaining that kind of perspective. So these are some of the reasons that judgment was going to come upon them. And certainly we see All of these elements in our culture going on today and increasing. And then we come to the promise of his judgment. The promise of his judgment in verses 7 through 10. Yahweh has sworn by the lofty pride of Jacob. Indeed, I will never forget any of their works. What does this mean, the lofty pride of Jacob? Um, He's not swearing by something that's not good. God does never, he never does that. Uh, the pride of Jacob is God. And so as God always does, he swears by his own name because there's no one higher that he can swear to. And so that's what he's saying here. They, the pride of Jacob is him, and they should have taken pride in God, but they had not. So God's going to, in a sense, swear by, and he's going to use a statement that kind of sticks it to him, the one that should have been their pride. And then here's what he's swearing. He says, indeed, I will never forget any of their works. Now, that's a great thing if you're suffering for righteousness' sake, if you're being persecuted for your faithfulness. But it's a horrible thing if you're living the way that these people live. And so this is a good reminder that God remembers all works. He sees the good, the bad, and the ugly. What is this promise going to bring? Because of this... Will not the land tremble, and everyone who inhabits it mourn? Indeed, all will rise up like the Nile, will be tossed about and subside like the Nile of Egypt. In that day, declares the Lord, I will make the sun go down at noon. and will make the earth dark in broad daylight. Then I will overturn your feast into mourning, all your songs into lamentation. I will bring sackcloth on everyone's loins. Then there's the baldness. Time of mourning for an only son. So this is great judgment. Land trembling, this is a sudden earthquake. So what is the earth? The earth is something that you can trust, hopefully, right? I can walk around and I can understand that the earth is going to be stable. But when the earth begins to tremble, everything is thrown off kilter. And you can't trust the foundation that you're walking on. And this is what's going to happen to Israel. It's the same with the Nile. The Nile at that day was uh, something that, for the most part, could be kind of trusted. It would flood at certain times in the seasons, but occasionally it would flood well beyond that. And it would create chaos and great destruction. And that's the kind of flooding that we're talking about here. The Nile is going to flood over its banks in such a way that the flood is going to continue. And it's going to ruin crops that it should have provided for. And so judgment is coming, and God has promised that it would come. But I want you to see something, because I think you're familiar with the idea um, of the physical destruction and everything that God's going to do. But verse 11 gives us something different. So let's look at a consequence of the judgment. A consequence of the judgment. This is the famine in the land. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will send a famine on the land, not a famine for bread or a thirst for water, but rather for hearing the words of Yahweh. This is always a precursor to divine judgment and to destruction. It's kind of like fattening the animal up for the slaughter. And what God does when He wants to bring judgment upon a people is He removes truth from the land. And that's exactly what was going on in Amos' day. Now, they still had their religious places of worship. They still had God's Word. But there was no hearing of it. There was no preaching of it. And you see what it says? It's a famine for the hearing of the words of Yahweh. How was he able to say that? Because he was speaking the words of Yahweh, but no one was hearing it. And so just because the words of Yahweh are present in a culture, in a generation, in a country, doesn't mean there's not a famine. This kind of famine, there could be rain coming down, but it's actually not soaking into the ground because no one's hearing it. There's not an ear that's willing to be receptive to it. This means this kind of famine, that no longer will divine law regulate the land. Justice is perverted. As you look at our own land, we're beginning to see this. You start to wonder, could that judge could he have made that kind of judgment that it doesn't seem to be in line with what the law says? the overturning of the different laws in the Supreme Court. The way abortion is in this country, laws are being flipped on its head. Why? Because there's a famine in the land. If there's a famine in the land, there's no calling anymore to repentance and moral purity. That just gets flipped on its head. There's no longer any promises for people to live by. No longer do people have any hope. Uh, There's no longer an actual cure. Everything is cast on its head. When the word is withdrawn, men lose hope, and the restraints are cast off. One man called this, what did he say? Uh, I wrote it down somewhere. I I think he said that it's the day of the cults. And so when the truth no longer reigns, It doesn't mean people aren't going to be spiritual. What it means is they're going to grab onto all kinds of other things. And you certainly see that on the rise in our country as well. Now, these people don't realize it. And so what happens? They begin to start wandering from sea to sea and from the north even to the east. They know they're missing something. They will go to and fro and seek the word of the Lord, but this is the judgment. They won't find it. There may be a day when the Word of God is plentiful, when no one listens, and then there's coming a day when God removes the Word and people search for it, and He won't give it. What that means is, if you're living in a day when you're able to hear the Word of God, you had better make sure that you are listening. Behold, today is the day of salvation. We cannot escape God's judgment if we neglect God's word as he continues he says in that day beautiful virgins and the choice men will faint from thirst as for those who swear by the guilt of Samaria who say as your God lives O Dan, and as the way of Beersheba lives they will fall and not rise again who are these people these are people who are not swearing by God or by the word or living according to the word they're swearing according to idols When the word of God is removed, idols become your God. But these people will fall, and they will not rise again. What are some applications we can take from this? Just by way of concluding, one, just remember what maybe it's probably easy to forget, and it's obvious all throughout the book of Amos that God cares for the poor and how they are treated. He does not look lightly upon the oppressed, and He certainly hates it when there is a misuse of wealth. And so we must be careful. Also, we must keep in mind the importance of God's Word. All of us have it. Uh, We have it on our phones, we have it on our iPads, we, we have multiple Bibles, we have it. But just because you have it doesn't mean that you're actually partaking of it and living upon it. And so if you have something this precious, and if there could be a limited time where it's available, now is the time to eat of it as much as you can. Now is the time to hunger and thirst for righteousness and to keep that before you. And you might just think to yourself, if there came a day when somehow, way, God removed it, and you no longer had access to it, would you miss it? Would anything about your life change? Or would you be okay? Would you feel crippled in that moment? Or would you just keep going? And if you can't answer that by saying, my life would be ruined. I wouldn't know how to live. Then there's an issue there. It means maybe we've got to a place we don't realize what we have. If there is coming a day when the Lord will judge our nation for how we have completely rejected His Word. What do we do in the meantime? How do we reach them? You're going to have to be like Amos. You can't win them any other way than telling them the whole truth, unmitigated, just the straight truth in love. And they will hate you for it. They will hate the Word. But that's the only hope they got. Because it won't be your cleverness that wins them. The only thing that will win them is the Word of God penetrating a darkened heart because the Holy Spirit uses His Word to awaken. This is our task But you'll only be able to do that if you continue hungering and thirsting for righteousness and depending upon the Lord Lord, as you preach the Gospel. Let me pray for us. Father, we pray, Lord, that you would be with us as we live in a culture that certainly has been given over to all forms of lust and greed, injustice, where everything has been turned on its head, where the future is uncertain, where no one has a correct foundation, where everybody sees the truth in connection with their own emotions and feelings and what they think. And here we are. And currently, we have Your Word and seek to stand with You. So Lord, we ask for Your help that we would remain faithful, and that we wouldn't be thrown off or swept away by the current current that is going down the wrong way so lord help us to depend upon you and father help us to hunger and thirst for your word lord help us to live upon the very truths that jesus christ himself lived upon when he was on this earth man does not live by bread alone but by every word every single word that comes from your mouth help us to see your word as precious we pray these things in your son's name amen